And the name of the teaching will be Integrity of the Heart. And uh, I want to start off with uh, Proverbs 4.23. You know, this whole, as I was praying about this teaching, this is something that uh, is very appropriate for what's going on in the world today. But not just in our world today, but also in, within the church. And uh, we have to be careful that though we're in the world, we live in this earth, that we don't allow what's happening around us to take up residence on the inside of us and cause us to compromise uh, different areas of our life. I hope, I hope you get the gist. I'm going to open up with a scripture that really talks about kind of the gist of where I'm going with this. I'm going to say some things in here that may sound a little harsh, but it really not. It just kind of, I want you just to listen to it, and I don't want you to take it, take shame upon you or anything like that. I want you to hear it and just allow the Holy Spirit to, to bring some truth into you of what's really, what this is really, the, what integrity really has to do in our life. There's really a purpose, a really, a God-ordained purpose that you may not know. And so, uh, in Proverbs 4.23, says, keep your heart with all diligence. That word keep is a word that literally would be probably a better word would be guard. Uh, if you look at it in the original language. So keep your heart with all diligence. And we're going to be talking about diligence a little later on, and you'll really see what that word diligence, uh, the depth of what it means. For out of it, the heart, spring the issues of life. And when you talk about the issues of life, that word issues would, uh, really talks about source. Another good uh, synonym for that would be the far reaches of life. And so in the Hebrew thought, it would be the, the, the highest, the best of what life is. Now, when you look at that word life uh, in Hebrew thought, uh, it's a big word, C-H-A-Y and Kai. And it, it's, it's a huge word amongst Jewish people, huge. And what this means, you know, we could say, well, that means life, you know, just like you. Well, it means a lot more than being able to fog a mirror and being just breathing you know, there's people that are in comas, that if you hold the mirror up to their mouth, they're breathing, and so they can fog that mirror a little bit, and, you know, but they're in a coma, so they're not enjoying the fullness of life. So really, when you think of the word life, uh, you really have to think of flourishing life. That would, so here it's talking about keep your heart with all diligence, for out of its spring, the far reaches, the highest and the best of what life can be. And of course, this is talking about life uh, pertaining to the Lord, the kind of life that he brings to us. So we must protect and guard our heart, the core of who we are in him. In Acts chapter 2, verse 40, uh, Peter, uh, let me just bring you up to speed what's going on here. Jesus had just ascended into heaven uh, the day of Pentecost has arrived. The Holy Spirit has come upon the believers. Uh, it's, it's a great outpouring of the Spirit, something new, something different. It's a wow factor on steroids. It's huge. And uh, they're, just, they're just marveling at this. Uh, spirit, heavenly language has come to the people. They're speaking in tongues. It's just, a, it's just a magnificent time. And all of a sudden, Peter... Now, Pentecost is a word that means 50 and so what Pentecost means is when you think about the time frame, it's 50 days after the Passover. 
And so Pentecost means 50, 50 days after the Passover. So we know it's only been 50 days since Peter denied the Lord. Okay, so all of a sudden, here's Peter on the day of Pentecost. He gets filled with the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, this magnificent sermon comes out of Peter. Now, he didn't have time to prepare it. He didn't have time to sit and get, you know, and look things up and look at different ways and all that. He was just there. This event took place, and all of a sudden, he stands up in the midst of all these people, and he begins to, you look at the whole second chapter of Acts, he begins to preach this magnificent sermon. It's so magnificent that 3,000 people are added, uh, get saved to the church. 3,000 people, and they run to him and say, what must we do to be saved? What must we do? And he tells them to repent and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so then it comes down to this verse right here. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Now, it's interesting because he's already told them how to be saved. So he's already covered the plan of salvation. And after he covers the plan of salvation... Assuming, because they asked, what must we do to be saved? So he's assuming that they receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Then he says these, this, this statement right here. Be saved from this perverse generation. I think a lot of times when we read this, we think we just, we just lock this in with salvation. Because it uses the word saved. And so what he's really saying here, now that you've received Jesus Christ as Lord, now walk in the newness of that life, and be different. And he says, be saved. So this is really a, a, this, a statement to those who are believers. Be saved from this perverse generation. That word saved there in this context right here means this, delivered, preserved, and made whole. So you could say it this way, be delivered from the present generation. Don't walk the way the world is walking. Don't live the way the world is living. Now you're different. Now you're fresh. Now you're new. Be preserved out of this way of thinking. Be made whole from what the world has to offer. Now walk in this wholeness of life. It's a time today, I've been hearing the Lord say this for the last two years. He said, it's time for the church to be the church. I want, because I've, I've been reading through the book of Acts, and he says, he said, this is, the act, book of Acts is just the beginning. He said, there's a greater time than the book of Acts, and it's the time that you're living in for the church today. I want more miracles to take place. And he said, but I want my church to live as the church and to walk according to the word, to walk according to my spirit. I love that, that spirit song that we sang today. I just love that. In the presence of the Lord, that is exactly where we, are, where we receive that, that depth of the Lord to live this kind of life. So it's a time for the church to shine with integrity of the heart. We are to be... We are to have a light. We are to be that light in the world to do what is right. And we are to allow this light to be reflected through our character. You know, the world, can I, I'm going to use a word, but the world uses this word a little, a little differently. So you have to hear what I'm saying because I'm going to explain it. 
the world is sensual. Now, see, when we think of the word sensual, your mind may go to the word erotic. I'm not talking about that kind of sensual. When I talk about sensual, I mean exactly what the word means, of the senses. Okay? The world lives according to their senses, by what they see, by what they hear. That's how they live. So we, the church, need to model something to the world that's different. They need to not just be preached at with the gospel. They need to see the gospel in true, in real life. They need to see the gospel being modeled to them. And if the church is looking like the world, and if, the, and if you can't tell Christians apart from non-Christians, then something's wrong. I've, I've got a Facebook page. I've got almost 5,000 friends on my Facebook page. And guess what? They're all Christians. I only take Christians. And so, because I want to I be, be teaching Christians. I want them to understand how to walk as a believer. And I'm appalled. I've had to unfriend a lot of, a lot of Facebook friends. Because their life, I can't tell they're Christians. They say they are, and they preach on, they have some scriptures on their page. But what they're talking about and how they're living, I don't know if they're saved. I want to be frank with you. And so I'm, I can't have that on my group of people. I don't want my friends going there and thinking that I'm condoning that kind of lifestyle because I'm not. It's time for the church to be the church. The world is rapidly declining. In the world, and it's, you know, we've all seen it on TV, especially this last year, we see rebellion, perversion, lawlessness. Society exalts and glamorizes uh, this kind of thing. Through the media, a lot of our movies, a lot of our, our shows, there's a lot of shows people will tell me, hey, you've got to watch the show. And I go to it, and I start to watch it, and i gotta, I got to shut it off. And they'll ask me, they'll say, hey, what do you think about it? And I say, do you really want to know? I can't believe you're watching it. That's what, that's what I can't believe. And so uh, they glamorize this kind of thing through the media. How about our justice system? Our justice system is has a lot of corruption in it. Now, there's some good people within our... We have good police officers, good judges, but we see the core of our just judicial system is declining. It's degrading. It's, there's a lot of corruption. And criminals who should be arrested go free. It's amazing. Well, it shouldn't really be... It really shouldn't be a surprise to us because, after all, John 10.10 10 tells us that the thief comes to steal and to kill, and to destroy. There's a devil in this world. Uh, Solomon saw this in Ecclesiastes 3.16. It says, Moreover, I saw under the sun, in the place of judgment, wickedness was there. And in the place of righteousness, iniquity was there. So this is not something new, because the devil's not new. He's been corrupting mankind since the garden. We need to be saved set apart from this perverse generation. Not in tune with, but immune from. Not removed, but improved. Amen? We can't stick our head in the sand. We can't just leave and go get our own island and live on it away. No, we're to make a difference in this world. We're to model what the kingdom of God is all about. We're called to take a stand. 
in opposition to what's around us, and we're called to walk in kingdom excellence. Not going with the flow, but taking the lead by setting a standard within our lives that the world can look at and they can say, there really is a God. I want what they've got. They need to be able to see God's ways and his benefits in action. Philippians 2, 14 through 16 says, do all things without complaining and disputing. I'm still working on that. (laughs) That you may be blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. Let me read that last one again. Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. Did you notice he didn't say the word of God? I love that statement, the word of life. It's the word of life, the highest and best of who God is. It's it's his kingdom. It's his life. It's his love. It's his vitality. It's his power. And he wants this to flow through us, the church. We see this in Solomon's day. It was corrupt. In Paul's day, he's talking here to uh, to Philippi. He's talking about the corruptness in that day. And we have this within our our present day as well. It's the same plans of the devil to steal, kill, and destroy and bring perversion. Notice he said, become blameless and harmless children of God without fault. That word harmless is an interesting word. I wish they would have translated translated it the way it actually reads in the Greek language because this word means unmixed. If you look it up, it doesn't say harmless. It says unmixed. That's actually the literal translation of the word. In other words, we're to be unmixed with darkness. We're not supposed to look like the world. And when I say look like, doesn't mean you can't dress with style. I didn't say that. But we're, we're not to mix in with the world's mentality. We're not to live with that kind of mentality. We're to set a standard. We're leaders. Did you know that you're a leader? You are a leader. You're not a follower. Unmixed in the world, we are in the world. Remember what Jesus said in John 15, 19? He said, they are in the world, but they are not of the world. There's one denomination that's got a logo. Many of you have probably seen that. And it says, not of this world. It has the, you know, it has the, uh, it's an acronym where it's got that. And it's got a nice little logo on everything. And I see it on the back windows of cars all the time. Every time I see it, I just rejoice. I said, that's me. That's who I am. I'm not of this world. In other words, I'm not confined to the world's limitations. I'm in the kingdom of God. You're in the kingdom of God. We've got some rights, privileges, and power behind us because we all have the Holy Spirit dwelling with us, and we have the words of life. We are not of this world. Then it says... uh, Without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, the word crooked means to dry. Uh, It means crooked, bent, and warped from dryness, parched. When I used to go hiking, there's one mountain up here uh, by Cucamonga Peak up in Ontario Pike, right by Mount Baldy, and it's about 9,000 feet. So it's a long hike. It's a hard hike. But right at the top, there's a crest 
of a peak right there where you go up to, and the wind just blows right over that peak. And there's an old tree that's dead, and it's just twisted and crooked, and it's dry and cracked. You know, they get snow up there. So the snow and the, the wind, the rain beats on it for, you know, years and years and years. This has been going on. And so when I read this, that word crooked to dry, crooked and bent warp, that image of that old tree uh, came to my mind. There is absolutely no life in it at all. And so the word perverse means to twist, to turn completely around or reverse, to distort. That's exactly the devil's plans for mankind to bring them into a place where they have no life, to bring them into a place where they, they're just dry and they're twisted and bent, and everything that, that comes, world's wisdom, they twist it. Anything about God, they twist it into something else. We are to live unmixed with darkness, to shine with rays of his glory and anointing. Integrity brings glory. That's what I want you to see today. That was our opening scripture right there. Integrity releases the glory of God. Look at Matthew 5, 13 through 14. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. That word light uh, in the original, in the Greek language uh, is the word phos, phos, and it literally means not just a single light, it means the rays of light shining out. Rays, plural, more than one. And so you are the light of the world. You are to have rays of goodness and blessing coming out of you in many varied ways that you can impact people around you who do not know the Lord. We are God's flavor enhancer in the world. Second Peter 1, uh, we're called to develop integrity of the heart. Second Peter 1, 2 through 4 says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Did you hear that? He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I'll tell you, if you're looking for a healing scripture, it's right there. That's a major healing scripture right there. He's given you all things that pertain to this life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us, listen to this, he called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these, the words of life, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Oh, come on now. Did you get that? You look up that word nature in the Greek, and it means natural production. Think about this. You're a partaker with his divine natural production. What does he produce? Another healing scripture right there. Wholeness scripture right there. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, when we see that word lust, it's kind of like that word sensual. Instantly, when we see the word lust, we go to sexual things. But did you know that that word lust, at the heart of those sexual things, is greed? This word lust is actually talking about all kinds of greed. 
which lust for sexual things is a part of. But you could have a lust, you could have a greed for money. You could have a greed for power. You could have a greed for position. And it, I mean, I used to, when I was in the world, I mean, I was into race cars, I was into drag cars, and I had, I had a lust for cars. I'm telling you. And I, 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 it was not a healthy obsession, I'll tell you that. It's probably what happened, how it cost me my first marriage, but that was part of it anyway. I used to tell my wife, you know where I am, I'll be out in the garage working on the car. If you want to see me, come on out there and pull up a chair. That'll do it, right? <laughs> uh, through the world through us. Then Peter tells us, after this, after this phenomenal section right here in 2 Peter, then Peter tells us to add certain ingredients to our faith. Why? So that we don't lose our focus of purpose and get caught up in the allure of self-centeredness and sin so that we remember who we are and we'll be equipped to go out into the dark world and we'll be able to impact the people around us. Then he says in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 6, he says, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, everybody say all diligence, giving all diligence that word all diligence in the original language means this. It literally means all speed. I say I used to be into drag racing. So, hey, that caught my attention. All speed. I want to go fast. You know, all speed. In other words, what that means is give it all you've got. Put your all into this. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence add to your faith. Virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. Notice, we were called by virtue unto virtue. When I saw that, I looked at that, it reminded me of something. Covenant oneness. We are one with him. He is the highest form of virtue. He is virtue. And he called us to be virtue, virtuous on the earth, to live in his virtue. Covenant oneness. Peter is saying we must add virtue to our faith. You know, we preach faith, we've dissected faith, we've turned faith inside out. We're really good at faith. We're really good at faith. But how many sermons have we had on virtue? And he's telling us, he's saying, you need to add virtue to your faith. In other words, faith is not supposed to stand on its own. Faith is supposed to incorporate virtue. I looked into the original language at the word add. And that word add uh, in, the, uh, in the Greek language is what is no, it's, it's an imperative. And that imperative means this. It's a command. It's a command. He wasn't, he, Peter writing under the unction of the Holy Spirit, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. God is saying, this is a command. It's not an option. You're my church. You're my people. You're bought with a price. You're mine. 
And I'm saying to you, add this to your faith. And then you got Christians say, well, I don't think I need that. The head of the church says you need it. Amen? If I'm going to take sides, guess whose side I'm taking? I'm taking his. He says you need it, you need it. I know I need it. Amen. Keiko will agree with that. She's going, amen. Yeah, she's praying for me right now. (laughs) The word virtue means this, a virtuous course of thought, feeling, or action that leads to moral goodness, any particular moral excellence or modesty or purity. When I read that, I thought of the word righteousness would be a good synonym for virtue. Integrity is absolutely a good synonym for virtue. To be God-like. Romans 1.17 says, The just shall live by faith. Did you know that this is God, God's prescribed method for the church to live by? This is his prescription for us. The just, who's the just? We are. The just shall live by faith. We are to live by faith. Well, if we're to live by faith, then guess what? We're to live with virtue. 2 Peter 1.10 says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent. There's that word again, diligent, with all speed. Give it all you've got. Therefore, brother, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Is that a powerful scripture or what? If you do these things, if you add virtue to your faith, and you live according to the word of God, you will never stumble. How many of you want to stumble? I don't want to stumble. I don't want to fall. I don't want to go into shipwreck. I want to be victorious. I want to be successful. I want his blessing in every area of my life. Then I need to add virtue. And I need to be diligent Notice, look at what he said, to make your calling and election sure. Did you know you have a calling? Every one of you have a purpose, a God-ordained purpose. And you need to make that purpose sure and to make, I've heard people say, well, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't, have you added virtue to your faith? We need to be focused on this. We must continually add virtue to our faith to live free and to radiate his anointing. 2 Corinthians 11.2 says, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Chaste means being pure from carnality, modest, pure from every fault. It means to be immaculate. The word virgin, virgin means clean, pure, and holy, and applies to all believers. You know, when we were born, when you're born again, guess what? You're washed clean. All your sins forgiven. He says, don't just be that way spiritually, be that way in the natural too. Allow that which has taken place on the inside of you to radiate to the outside of you. 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16 says, I love this scripture. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. I love it in the NIV. And the NIV says right there, it says, prepare your mind for action. Wow, this kind of reminds me of uh, Romans 1 and 2. Be not transformed to this world, but be 
I'm conformed to, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Amen? Renewing, renewing our mind to the word of God. Prepare your mind for action. Be sober. Now, it's not just not talking about, hey, don't go out and get drunk. Be sober means to think with truth so that your thoughts are not perverted, so that your thoughts are not deluded, so that your thoughts are not deceived. There's a scripture in Proverbs that says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Don't allow natural reasoning from the world to filter into your thought processes and, and, cause, your, and, and cause you to take action according to that, that reasoning. Take all of your thoughts and make sure they line up with the word of God and move in that area. Prepare your mind for action. Be self-controlled. Be sober. Rush your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you with the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. That word holy is a word that simply just means, if you really do a word search on it, to be pure, to be pure as he is pure in the truth. He has set us apart. He, des he desires for us to radiate his glory, his light into the darkness. Our obedience enables his anointing to flow through us. Our obedience enables his anointing to flow through us, drawing others to him. Some will say, how much sin can I get away with and still be saved? I like to say, how much integrity can I employ in my life so that I can walk in a deeper anointing? Because it's not about me. It's about others. How many lives can I touch? You know, there's, I've got a list of some warnings I'm going to read through them kind of fast uh, about fleshly, uh, against the fleshly trap that the enemy has for, for people and for Christians in this earth. First Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from every evil. Remember, there's a devil out there come, that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Why? Why do you, does, is the Lord saying abstain from this? So that you'll be able to walk in that anointing. So you'll be able to produce that kind of power in your life that'll touch somebody else's life. Proverbs 20, verse 7, the righteous man walks in his integrity. I love this. And his children are blessed after him. That word integrity means completeness, prosperity, wholeness. It means to be spotless. Notice the anointing and blessing that is produced from having integrity in your life. It not only affects your generation, but it affects your other generations. See, when I pray for my kids, I'm praying for my grandkids. Guess what? I'm, I'm already praying for their wives, their husbands. I'm praying for their children. They don't, I mean, I have grandkids that are really young. You know, they're young. Five years old and stuff like that, 10 years old. Hey, but I'm praying for their husbands. I'm praying for their wives. I'm praying for their children. I'm already praying for future generations. Colossians 3, 5, therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. 
Colossians 3, 8 and 9, but now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man and his deeds. And he, what Paul is saying here, now you're born again. You're one with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Keep yourself from these things so that the anointing will flow, so that the power will flow and you can touch other people's lives. Ephesians 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Thank God we have the word of God so we can imitate God. Amen? Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice unto God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. I want to give you an example of Joseph. Um, Pastor Gary, uh, throughout the, in through the Ju- June and, Ju- and July, he's got one more. When he gets back, he'll be doing one more teaching on it to finish up the series on the life of Joseph and uh, 10 tests that, that we go through uh, to reach our destiny. Uh, Joseph is an example of integrity of the heart and one who stayed true to his God and guarded his character. Even in the midst of extreme, extreme adversity, which released an anointing and the wisdom of God that saved two nations from destruction. Joseph was sold by his brothers to Midianite traders who took him into Egypt and sold him as a slave on the slave market when he was just 17 years old. We know the story, how his brothers ganged him up, put him in a pit, and then they they were going to kill him, and then they, they... ended up selling him. 17 years old. Can you even imagine that? Going from your family, all of a sudden taken from your family, all of a sudden you're a slave. Genesis 39.1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. He could have been bitter towards God. He could have been very emotional. He could have hated his brothers and allowed that hatred to turn to such uh, bitterness and rage and festered in his life. He could have. But he didn't. And he, in, he, in, in the midst of his struggle, he remembered who he is and who his God is. Mankind's tendency is to compromise and give in to, to, to temptation when things are tough. Remember, 2 Peter 5, 6 says, in perseverance, we need to add godliness to our faith. The blessings of God, the anointing, was released through Joseph's life into his master's house, into Potiphar's house, because of his commitment to God and moral excellence. In other words, integrity of the heart. Let's look at Genesis 39, 2-4. I love this, this opening statement. The Lord was with Joseph in the midst of his slavery. The Lord was with Joseph 
Did you know that he's with you in the midst of your trials? The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. Say that with me. And, but put your, say, the, the Lord is with me, and I am successful. If you've got God with you, it doesn't matter where you are. You can be a success. You know what the difference is? You've got to make an attitude adjustment right here. As long as you get your attitude straight and you keep your focus onto the Lord, no matter what's going on around you, you can be a success. Genesis 39, 2-4 the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw. Everybody say, his master saw. His master's a pagan. He's Egyptian. They've got 2,000 gods that they serve. Very prideful nation. They were the world empire of the day. They were the superpower. And they knew it. And they were prideful, and they were arrogant, and they had 2,000 gods that they served. And here comes this Hebrew as a slave into the house. He's a slave. And all of a sudden, the pagan master, the prideful Egyptian, all of a sudden, he takes notice that there's something about this man. His master saw that the Lord was with him. Wait a minute. They don't even believe in the Lord. They've got 2,000 gods and goddesses. But he sees there's something about this man, and the Lord is with him. There's testimony being shown through Joseph's life. And he saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he, the master of the house, made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under Joseph's authority. I was telling somebody this the other day. I said, you know, the life of Joseph, we know what happened to him at the end. He goes to Potiphar's house, then he goes into prison, and then eventually he becomes a second-in-command in Egypt, right? Did you know he was always the second in command once he got to Egypt? He was always the second. He wasn't waiting for his purpose or his calling to manifest. It was already manifested. He was already second in command in Potiphar's house. When he gets to the prison, guess what? He becomes second in command in the prison. That anointing to be second in command, that purpose was already manifesting. The fullness of it happened when he become, became Pharaoh's second. And he ended up saving two nations. I don't know if that, that, that did something to me when the Lord showed me that. That really, yeah. So I hope it does it to you too. God's going to get you tonight. You're going to be awake, sleeping, and all of a sudden you're going, yeah, wow, whoo, did you, hey. yeah, you're going to do that. <laughs> I love that. Promotion, even in the midst of trials. Joseph could have given up, but he chose not to. It's during times of testing and trials that we guard the elements of our faith. We protect the anointing. That's what integrity is all about. That's what virtue is all about. It's protecting the anointing. 
It releases the favor of God. The enemy knows this and will try to convince you through your emotions and what you see to throw in the towel and let go of the power of obedience, to let go of your integrity, to let go of your virtue, to compromise. Everybody else is doing it. Oh, brother so-and-so in the church, you heard he's doing it. It's okay. You're still going to go to heaven. It's okay. You'll still go to heaven. But you'll live like hell on earth. I'm not saying that once you get in this that you're not going to have any struggles or trials. I've had a lot of them. But guess what? I also have a lot of testimonies I could sit down if you have the time. And I can tell you about all the answers that God brought through at the midst of the trial and brought me through. Amen. Genesis 39, 6 through 10. Then he left all that he had in Joseph's hands. He did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Did you know the anointing will make you handsome? Woo, come on. <laughs> you may laugh at that, but you know what? It's true. It's true. You should have seen me before I was a Christian. No, I'm just... I'm, I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> but... I was in the store one day, and I was in line, and I looked over, and this young girl, she must have been 17, 18, she was good looking, but she looked, she was standing off to the side, and she kept looking over at me, and she's smiling at me, and she's looking at me, and she's batting her eyes, and, I'm, I'm look, and I looked over at her, and I looked away, and I go, nah, and I looked again, and then I went, oh, no, I didn't, <laughs> and uh, but I looked again. I kept looking over at her, and she kept looking at me. Ooh, she had these come-on-looking eyes, you know, and she's, she's and, and I kept looking, and I'm going, Lord, what's it? I could be her grandfather. What's she doing, you know? And uh, so I left, and I said, Lord, that, that girl is making me feel uneasy. What was going on there? And the Lord said, it wasn't you. <laughs> Are you ready for this one? The Lord said, it was me. He goes... She saw me on you, and she didn't know what it was, and she didn't know how to react to it. She saw something glorious, something beautiful in your life, and she was responding the way the world responds, but she saw me on you, and she didn't know what it was. Amen. So yeah, Joseph was handsome and foreman appearance. Woo, come on. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has into my hand. There is no one greater, oh, I love this statement, there is no one greater in the house than I. Hey, she was in the house. But he was even in a place that was above her. I like that. Nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, she didn't just say, okay, well, I got it. No, she's persistent every day. Did you know that's how the devil is? You may say, I rebuke you, devil, get away. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going there. Yeah, he'll leave for a moment, but he's going to persistent, persistent, persistent. You better know about virtue. 
You better know about your righteousness, your authority. So it was she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. The standard of righteousness that he set for himself protected him from compromising. He knew who he was, and he knew whose he was. He knew that he was destined for blessing, and to that action was a substandard action if he would have taken it, and he knew that. I'm not going to compromise the good things that God has for me, that place that God is taking me to, that fullness of the destiny that he's bringing me into, I'm not going to compromise it by doing this. That's what the devil will bring to you through, through temptation and trial. He's trying to get you. See, the devil can't make you do it. Remember that old thing, Flip Wilson? Those of you who are old enough. Flip who? And he used to say, the devil made me do it. That was his comedian. That was his tagline. The devil made me do it. Ah, the devil can't make you do anything. But the devil can tempt you over and over and over, put thoughts against, uh, into your head, and, all of a sudden, and then all of a sudden you, we, act on those thoughts. Guess what? We then become our own worst enemy. It's not the devil. All he can do is entice. The action is right here. It's with us. What kind of standards are you setting for yourself and for your family? If you are not intentional in setting standards for your life and for your family, you will be swayed by the emotions of the moment. You need to have non-negotiables in your life. For years, I've been talking to the guys that I have on, that I minister to uh, in our men's group and different things, and I keep telling them that you need to have non-negotiables in your life. I have spiritual non-negotiables in my life. I will always be in the Word of God. I will not ever compromise being in the Word of God. I will be in the Word of God on a daily basis. I will pray in the Spirit every day. I spend a lot of time praying in the Spirit. It's a non-negotiable for me. Because I know that the power, the anointing manifests through that. I will be in the presence of God every day. I will take time listening for the Holy Spirit to speak to me. Take time in his presence. That's a non-negotiable for me. I will take time in worship. Not asking him for anything, but worshiping him for who he is. That is a non-negotiable for me. Those are my spiritual non-negotiables. Then I have non-negotiables in my natural living. I will not compromise. I will live in excellence. A lot of people have looked at my life and they've said, you're a perfectionist. You're, you're all about works. No, I'm not. I'm about excellence because I'm part of an excellent kingdom. I'm one with an excellent God. Amen? We should give him our best. Praise God. Amen. Some people don't stand for anything, but they, but they fall for everything. Joseph walked with integrity towards his employer and towards God, which he refused to compromise. He was put into prison even though he did not give in to her desires. He was found guilty for something that he didn't do. He was found guilty because of his righteousness, because of his virtue. It cost him something. Know this, temptations in life will come 
Are you prepared? Genesis 39, 20. Then Joseph's master took him, put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. Joseph was in prison. I, see, I want to comment on that last statement. And he was there in prison. When I saw this, I thought, that's kind of redundant. He was put in prison, and he was there in prison. He, they could have left that last line out. And the Lord says, oh, no, that's important. And he was there in prison. And the Lord says, Joseph was in prison, but the prison was not in Joseph. He was, Im was impact-minded wherever he was. And he had an influence on people. There were, there were two men in that prison, and one, and one of them died after he got out. But the other one, uh, they, they got released, and, they, and one of them remembered Joseph to, to Pharaoh and ended up getting him out of prison. And that was the stepping stone that brought him to become second in command of Egypt. He could have become better, but he didn't and found favor with the keeper of the prison and was eventually released and became ruler over all Egypt behind Pharaoh. It doesn't matter where you put this man. The blessing of God just kept producing. Being released through the integrity of his heart. Joseph is a type of the person God is looking for in these last days. To show himself strong through. To reveal his love, compassion, mercy, and power. Drawing in those who are lost. Look at Daniel 11.32. I've got one other scripture after this. We're done. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And those of the people who understand shall instruct many. That's what God wants to have happen in your life. He wants you to protect the anointing. He wants you to walk in integrity of heart. He wants you to embrace this and add this to your faith so that you will have his power, his anointing, his glory, focusing and flourishing through your life, and then you will be able to instruct, help, teach others to come into the kingdom of God, and you'll be able to help disciple them on how to walk in the blessings of God. We may not be called to such a large destiny as Joseph. Yet we all have people around us to impact with his truth. Isaiah 60, 1 through 3. And as I read this, I thought, boy, what, an, what, a, what a mandate to us today, for the church today. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles, the people who don't know the Lord, the nations, shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Is virtue important in your life? Oh, yes, it's important. Amen. Can we go ahead and stand? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.